Welcome to Survive and Thrive, where Oklahomans reflect on COVID-19 and racism. Survive and Thrive is a 24-episode podcast series where our team will interview Oklahomans across a diverse spectrum as how to survive and thrive during the twofold crisis of the health and racial pandemics. Oklahomans are no stranger to tragedy. The state's history is checkered with traumas such as the Dust Bowl, Tulsa Race Massacre, Trail of Tears, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Out of those tragedies was born the Oklahoma Standard. Now, as the state once again grapples with hardship, this time with COVID-19 and racial heartache, we will hear from multiple Oklahomans who must once again learn to survive and thrive. We are your hosts, Carolee Langford and Brooklyn Wayland. Today, we are joined by Brenda Alford, a descendant of Tulsa Race Massacre survivors and current chairman of the Tulsa Mass Graves Oversight Committee. First of all, how have you been? How have you been during this pandemic? Oh, I tell you, it's uh, been an adjustment for sure. Oh, yeah. For all of us, I who could have imagined that uh, something like this would happen. I mean, you hear that, okay, this could happen, but mm -hmm. you know, you're you're hoping and praying it doesn't, and then wham, it does. Oh, and yeah. you, you have to make adjustments just so quickly, and it affects every aspect of your life, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and your family's life, your friend's life, your community as a whole, and uh, it's just a matter of, uh, we've all had to just reacclimate, if you will, and, and to make it work. Yeah. But I think the, the, the most positive thing for me is, you know, for us to be thankful for what we do have, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, given us pause, if you will, to appreciate those little things in life. And basically, you know, anything else that comes after this, it's all good, right? We're like, we yeah. survived COVID. We exactly. Can handle exactly. Anything. We can do anything now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. would you mind telling us a little bit about your upbringing, your background? Sure, sure. I grew up here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, from an infant, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but uh, very shortly thereafter, uh, we transitioned here, and uh, I grew up in the Greenwood District. Uh, it was a wonderful community, uh, full of love. Uh, uh, everybody was supportive, uh, encouraging. Uh, the thing of the community was uh, to get your education, be your best, do your best. And uh, we certainly grew up in that, in that type of environment, mm -hmm. a very loving environment, if you will. Do you have any siblings? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay, tell us about that. All right, I do have a twin. There's two of oh, me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I have an older brother uh, who lives in Chicago. And I have a, another half-sister, uh, but she's my whole sister, uh, who lives here in Tulsa as well. Oh, that's fun. Y'all are so close. Yes. I yes, love that. Yes, I love that. Yes. So you went to high school here in Tulsa as well? Yes. I am a, a graduate, uh, a very proud graduate of the Booker T. Washington High School. Okay, okay. Third generation. I love that. <laughs> and our daughter is the fourth. Okay, yes. so cool. And that's, you know, that, that pride is, is part of what I grew up in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, you saw that exuded from uh, the adults in the community, and it just kind of trickled down to you. So uh, when I was little, growing up, uh, just, you know, watching them uh, with all their activities, their school activities, and attending the, the football games at Booker T. Washington at the, back in those days, uh, it was like standing room only. And I, I was a little <laughs> kid, but... It was so much fun. Everybody yeah. knew each other, and uh, everybody, it was just, uh, it would have a great time. And uh, those are the things that I remember growing up. 
attending schools. I attended the Charles S. Johnson Elementary School, which was in the old Booker T. Washington School, uh, located in the present-day OSU Tulsa. In fact, I started out at Dunbar Day Nursery there, which was in that same building, and then I transitioned into the Charles S. Johnson Elementary School. And at that time, the teachers, the administrators, they were part of the community. Uh, they lived in the community. Uh, they basically, you, you might attend the same church uh, as uh, the, your teachers or administrators did. Um, they basically, you, you basically were taught the same values you, you learned at home. You, it, you got it at school, you got it at church, you got it from the community. Oh. And uh, it, it was just a wonderful community to grow up in. You knew what the expectations were and uh, you tried to follow that to the best of your ability. Yeah. It sounds like it was a very close-knit community. Very, very. Was it like everyone knew everyone, called each For, other by It seemed like, it, in, in, in my mind, it seemed like growing up because uh, your administrators, your, your school teachers, and, and uh, they were maybe in the same sororities, same fraternities, or other organizations uh, for mm -hmm. in the community. Yeah. Uh, you attended various churches within the community. and. Uh, uh, it, it was just, a, a, I would say, a very close-knit community. My, my grandmother, uh, growing up with my grandmother and around her a lot, she uh, would visit a lot of the community members, if you will. They were all good friends. Uh, they would uh, break, they bake cookies and oh, as they went yeah. to visit each other, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I always liked that because I always got oh, cookies, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wonderful. Uh, and uh, the, the community members were always proud to, you know, encourage us as little people and, and uh, they were always always proud to give us that penny so we could go around to the, to the drugstore and buy that little candy or, <laughs> or give us a little peppermint, you know. So it, it, it was just, I think back at, about it now, and it makes me smile because, <laughs> and I'm grateful to have had that opportunity to grow up in a community that uh, was just so loving and so encouraging, if you yeah. will. So what made you want to stay in that community specifically? What drew you here and what, like, make you want to raise your family here? Well, I've been here, as I said, all my life. I, I grew up in, in Tulsa, um, and uh, it's just been a, a I, except for living in Oklahoma City for, for about two, two or three years uh, with a job that I had there. Now I had the opportunity to come back to Tulsa, and uh, it's just a place that I've always loved. Yeah. Uh, is where my family is, or I was, or you know, they are all, most of them are passed on now, my father and my grandparents and uh, what have you. And uh, it's just, it was just home, just home for me. And uh, I just, you know, wanted my daughter to have the same experience as much as possible yeah. that I had growing up as a kid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned a little, little bit about your, your grandparents who aren't originally from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They moved here from, where was Shortly it? Shortly before st statehood. Okay. Um, my grandparents basically, of course, uh, originated, uh, my, the nail side of the family originated from Mississippi okay. and migrated to Texas. And before they migrated to Texas, uh, we lost my grandfather at a very early age mm -hmm. from tuberculosis, which was very common back in those days. Mm -hmm. And my grand, great-grandmother would raise their children and she would migrate to Texas and then shortly before statehood, uh, she and the family would migrate to Oklahoma. Okay. Yes. So what brought your family to Oklahoma? What was the deciding factor? It was factor? basically uh, uh, 
the thought, or, or basically it was, it was thought that, you know, Oklahoma provided a better life okay. uh, for black people. Uh, that was uh, uh, something that uh, drew most people of color to Oklahoma at that time was a, a better life. Uh, the opportunity yeah. to build your businesses and to uh, take care of your families in a better situations than they had in maybe other states. Uh, and that was the, the draw to Oklahoma, just the, the opportunity, the chance of an opportunity that they could not have anyplace else. Right. Uh, my grandmother's family also, uh, they migrated from Texas. Uh, at some point in time, uh, my grandmother and grandfather met as very young people and uh, the, the rest is history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you mentioned that um, it what your grandparents wanted to start where yes. they wanted to um, be more open to entrepreneurial right. ideas. What did they come here and do? Do you mind me asking? No, not at all. Um, now, of course, uh, my grandparents were very young people right. uh, when they came to Oklahoma with their parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, their parents wanted them to have a better life, yeah. of course. And uh, my father, my grandfather, was a, was a very proud college-educated shoemaker. He received okay. his uh, college That's education cool. from Prairie View AMM at a very young age. They came back here with the family, and uh, although he had worked as a, a maybe a shoe shiner, if you will, yeah. um, he wanted to better himself, and uh, he did, and started the businesses along with my great uncle and the other family mm -hmm. members. They were able to employ uh, family members and community members in those businesses, and um, they were very successful, if you will. So I kind of want to focus in on what happened in 1921. Sure. So tell us a little bit about what your parents and grandparents' experience with the Tulsa Race Massacre was, and just kind of paint a picture, go back to that day um, from, from what you've heard. Sure. Uh, my grandparents uh, owned my grand well my family my uh, great uncle and my grandfather were the owners of the Nails Brothers Shoe Shop and Record Shop that was located at 121 North Greenwood Avenue and various locations throughout the community as well. They also were the first owners of what is now Lacey Park, wherein the Nails Dance Pavilion and Skating Rink was located, mm -hmm. and their pictures are on the beautiful mural at the park, if you will. Uh, they also operated a chauffeur and taxi service. So they were very entrepreneurial-minded people, as most of the people yeah. in the community were at that time, if you will. On that tragic day, they ran for their lives. They ran to what was called Golden Gate Park at that time, which was further out from the Greenwood com community, if you will, near the present-day Mohawk Boulevard area, if you will. So that was a pretty good run back then. One thing that is a factor is that my grandmother was expecting their second child. Oh. at that time. And as you probably know, a lot of the women who were expecting lost their children at that time. And it's heartbreaking for me to think that my grandmother could have lost my uncle, their first son. Mm -hmm. They already had a two-year-old daughter in the name of Dr. Cecilia Nels Palmer. Uh, she was their only daughter and she was the first. She was two years old and she experienced that tragedy at the time. And then of course they would have other children later on. But as I said, when they returned, when they thought it was safe to come back to their community, found that their businesses and their homes had been looted and burned to the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, they would eventually end up in a two-room shack and have to start from scratch. I know that it was very traumatic for my family members and other community members as well, not only financially, physically, but also mentally as well. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather um, 
suffered from what I would call PTSD after that. Although yeah. we did rebuild, the, they did rebuild the family business. It wasn't as well. It it did not do as well as the original businesses did, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they, you know, they kept at it. I am very, very, you know, uh, excited about the strength, courage, and tenacity of the community members, my family members and community members, who, in spite of what they endured, were able to come back to a certain extent, okay? Yeah. And um, like I said, it, it was just a, just a horrible experience. Uh, it was a horrible atrocity, not only to Tulsa, um, but U.S. history as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but I'm very, very thankful that uh, they decided to stay in Tulsa and to raise their family and to keep moving forward in spite of what they had endured. Now, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about just the Greenwood District before the Tulsa Race Massacre as well as Black Wall Street? Because sure. it was booming before. Yes, so tell, it was. Yes, tell, them, it was. tell them about that. Well, at the, at the time uh, when people uh, were coming to Oklahoma, black and white, there was just so much going on. The, the, the oil boom, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it was very popular. Uh, and everybody, uh, there was a place for everybody uh, to be successful, if you will. But of course, Jim Crow laws were in effect, and that basically, uh, you know, caused segregation, of course. Our community members had to uh, basically make their own community. They had to make have their own stores, and so it was very successful. In our, in, in my, my family, basically, like I said, uh, was able to employ family members, community members, uh, because of their success, and it was just a, a wonderful time, if you will. And uh, as best they could, they enjoyed their lives. They did. So. Can you tell me a little bit about the racial tension leading up to the massacre? Sure. Did your grandparents, did they tell you things about it, your parents often, or? No, actually it okay. wasn't something that was uh, talked to us, in my generation, talked to us directly about, mm. if you will. I didn't find out about uh, this aspect of our family history until about 2003, mm -hmm. when I would receive notification from a legal entity that myself and many others were being included in a lawsuit uh, regarding reparations against the city of Tulsa and other mm -hmm. entities. Uh, that's how I found out about our family's history with the race massacre, and it was pretty devastating. Yeah. I grew up knowing about our family businesses, mm -hmm. but I did not know about that aspect of it and uh, therein would be, begin my journey to find the rest of our family story. Mm -hmm. But I knew going into it that if this was something that they did not feel that they could sit down and have a, a conversation with us about, it had to be terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I had to prepare myself for what I would def was to find and what I am still finding yeah. regarding that aspect of our family history. Uh, of course, uh, my father and his siblings, they knew because they grew up in the aftermaths of the race massacre, if you will, and uh, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they did it. And, and what I find really, really wonderful is that in spite of what the community endured, our family endured, they found it in themselves to put such positivity in us and to be so encouraging to us and so much love in us. They had every reason not to, okay? Right. But when I found out about that aspect of our history, I remember going back to uh, and just taking a walk down Greenwood uh, around the corner from our house and just kind of wondering how something as horrible mm -hmm. 
mm. at the, as the race massacre could have occurred in a community that I grew up finding so loving and so mm. caring and protective, if you will. What has that journey looked like for you, like coping with that and trying to grapple with the duality of that history, but also a community that you love so much? It's, it's, uh, it has its ebbs and flows. Basically has been a very exciting journey, if you will, to pull those pieces together mm-hmm. and um, just, 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 to know, just to know your history is, is very exciting to me. But there have been times when I've had to kind of just step back from it because mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a tough journey, if you will. Um, going into it, as I said, I had to prepare myself because the race massacre was not a good thing, okay? Yeah. And just knowing that and the effects on people that you love, mm-hmm. people who gave so much to me and were so loving and kind, it's very heartbreaking to know that they were treated in this manner mm-hmm. and in spite of that uh, chose to be so giving to us. It's, 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 and and I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm very grateful. So talking about kind of your parents and the outlook that they have on it Mm -hmm. and then their generosity with you and the rest of your siblings, what we've been kind of talking about in some of our other podcasts is the Oklahoma standard Mm -hmm. and what that really means. What does that mean to you? It, that, that, that's kind of a tough question when you, when you talk about the Oklahoma standard, okay, and, and what it means in, in reference to the race massacre and, and, and how our families uh, dealt with it, you know, after that time. Um, this was a situation, as you know, that was hidden for very many years. It was swept under the rugs. People were threatened with their very lives if they talked about it. I'm sure that there were many reasons why my family didn't talk about it to us specifically. Sure. The thing that I hope Oklahoma takes out of that, or, or I, you know, or I wish they could have, you know, at, a, at an earlier time, was that hiding something, something as tragic as that, was not the answer. Because here we are, almost a hundred years later, mm-hmm. and now we have so many people throughout the country, the nation, who are just now hearing about this for the first time, okay? That's how well they hit it. And that in itself is, is, is a tragedy, if you will. I hope that we learn from that as a, as a whole that we're better together than apart. Mm-hmm. It's better when all of us have the opportunity to have a seat at the table. Our community proved time and time again that they could be successful. They did it. When is enough enough? When are we enough? So can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing now? Mm-hmm. You're a chair member. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the grave site? Sure, yeah. sure. One, as I, as I uh, mentioned earlier, our family members, of course, uh, did survive the race massacre. Right. One of those people that survived with my family was my great-grandmother, Rosetta Moore, my uh, grandmother's mother, if you will. Uh, she uh, is, in fact, buried at Oakland Cemetery, where the text excavations are occurring at this time. Uh, I w- it was very, very important for me to be on these committees, if you will, the, yeah. the Race Massacre Committee, uh, the uh, 
Mass Graves Committee because of the family history, if you will. I, I just wanted to feel like I was contributing in some way, if you will. I had no idea that I would end up the chair of the Mass Graves Public Oversight Committee, but and I'm very honored that uh, Mayor Bonham asked me to do so. But as I was saying, having a great-grandmother who's buried there someplace, uh, family members, uh, the records at the cemetery were lost over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. There's been a lot of changes at the cemetery over the years. And uh, no, my father and his siblings tried to find my great-grandmother. Uh, they knew that she was there. They had visited her there as children. I have documentation that says she's there. Uh, I'm a general generation that would love to find her grave and give her the due respect that she and so many others deserve. Absolutely. But the focus is on those who lost their lives so tragically during the race massacres. Uh, and they had family members, community members that uh, never saw them again. Uh, my grandfather uh, shared with my father and, the, and the, their siblings that they lost a lot of friends and neighbors, if you will, along yeah. the way that they never saw again. Uh, so that in itself was tragic, as well as everything else. So being on this committee is very, very important to me because I would like for us to be able to find some of the victims of the race massacre in order to give them the due respect that they deserve. Uh, there was not the opportunity to give them the burials uh, that you would normally have. There's not the opportunity for family members and friends to go to their graves and honor them on a yearly basis as we do others. So. This will bring some sense, if you will, of solace to the community for a tragedy that uh, you know, was, was just a, uh, a situation that we wish would not have happened, yeah. for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. So going back, talking a little bit about the racial heartache that's happening right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and what we can learn from how Oklahoma handled the tragedy of the Tulsa Race Massacre, mm -hmm. What do you hope to see from Oklahoma in dealing with the heartache that's happening right now? I hope we can have open conversations, mm -hmm. uh, communications, if you will, Absolutely. Uh, to discuss all aspects of everyone's heritage, to understand mm -hmm. each other, to understand that uh, we are better together than apart, and that there is a seat at the table, as I said, for everyone. We just have to be accepting of each other at that table, if you will. Hiding uh, what happened with a race massacre was probably the worst thing th that Oklahoma could have done or should have done mm -hmm. because it hasn't gone away. That's Here right. we are, 100 years later yeah. almost, and the effects that is having not only in Tulsa but nationwide mm. is very interesting. Yeah. So I hope what we take away from it is that, you know, hiding situations is not a good thing. Bringing those things, those situations out into the open and having the conversations and being with, uh, be helping each other, having each other's backs and being supportive of each other goes a long, long way in For healing sure. uh, the, the tragedies have, that have occurred and basically teach our community, especially our younger people, to have the capacity to get along with each other and to be the best that we can for each other mm -hmm. because we are better together than apart. 
You kind of talk about bringing that situation into the open, talking about things. What does that look like on the education front? Because I didn't learn about this tragedy until I was well into high school and I was raised in Oklahoma. And I feel like anybody outside of Oklahoma, it's even more rare that they would know about this tragic event. So what would you like that to look like in education wise? Well, as you know, the Race Massacre Commission has basically a committee that is educating our our educators uh, on the race massacre. Uh, and have been for the past year or so. There is curriculum available uh, to basically share uh, with our educators so that they can go back and have a conversation with their students. And I think that that is great. Before this time, uh, there were some educators that shared that information with their students, but not to the level that we're doing it right now. And I hope that that continues and grows as time goes. I hope along with that curriculum that Stories such as myself and other descendants can be told as well, because I think it makes it a more real scenario, if you will, to, to know people and have people tell their own family stories mm-hmm. so that it, gets that, you know, it gets that story out and people really understand the significance of what happened. Have you had any support from like Oklahoma legislature when it comes to making that a mandatory curriculum? Yes, uh, that, is, uh, that is something that the Race Massacre Commission has been working on with Senator Lankford. Uh, that is something that is now being done uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, so we are very, very happy for uh, that assistance, if you will, in making sure that that curriculum is shared in our classrooms throughout the state and hopefully uh, beyond at some point in time. Of course, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not only are we facing racial heartache and upheaval, in our nation, but we're also facing a pandemic. So what what do you expect to see from Oklahomans as, as we come out of these troubling times? I, I, I hope to see uh, a more cohesive uh, community environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that uh, we, we don't have that now, it's just that I think with the struggles that the pandemic and other situations have brought our way, we're learning how to depend on each other more to help each other more, uh, to understand the little things in life that make life so wonderful, if you will. And I hope that we will carry those uh, situations that we've learned and that we've had the opportunity to go back and just revisit, if you will. Take that forward and make that just something that we continue to do throughout our lives on an ongoing basis. Thank you for listening to Survive and Thrive. On the next podcast, we will speak with Joy Gordon, CEO of Dress for Success, where we will focus on the history of our state and how it relates to the current racial pandemic. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts by searching Survive in OKLA. We are your hosts, Carolee and Brooklyn. Join us every Wednesday for new episodes. Also participating in this podcast project are Kimberly Burke, our manager, Jesse Smith, researcher and writer, Sue Shan Fan, and Robert Leoiza, the social media coordinators, and Miranda Von Dale, our audio engineer. This podcast is presented by Gaylord News in collaboration with the Institute for the Study of Human Flourishing.